0: Welcome to the show where we unearth new ways of looking at ever-evolving life around the world, seen from a number of different industries, cultures, and backgrounds. But there's one thing that unites everyone I speak to. They all want to do their part to make the world better in their own unique ways. It's a uniting passion. Whether they're from the commercial world, third sector, or public sector, from the global north or the global south, my name is Philippa White, and welcome to Tie Unearthed. Hello and welcome to episode 52 of Tie Unearthed. Today I'm speaking with my friend David Joshua, founder of Resonance, a leadership development program that helps people lead with more impact, empathy and engagement, and helps people understand how to apply the principles of persuasion and communicate more effectively during moments that matter. David is a Henley Business School lecturer where he designed and delivers a leadership and communication module that focuses on connection, presence and persuasion. And he's a Penguin published investment author. Now I met David through the wonderful world of LinkedIn, but I very quickly hired him to help me prepare for a video that I needed to film. And without question, if it wasn't for him, I would not have managed to present in the way that I did. Now David's story is an interesting one, having walked away from a successful career in banking to launch Resonance. It was a process that worked for him and he knew he needed more people to experience what he discovered for himself. We talk about where he was, where he is now, and where he is going. So grab that favorite beverage or throw on those running shoes and enjoy this chat with David. Hi, David. It is so wonderful to have you. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Philippa. It's wonderful to be here.
0: Tell me, I like to ask my guests where they are. So, where are you? Because I know it's
1: not usually where you are, or not. It's not. <laughs> it's not where you usually are. <laughs> That's right. I've just returned from five years in South Africa, which is potentially the most beautiful country on earth wildlife wine farms mountains deserts oceans uh the diversity there has been been a great gift to me and i'm now back in the uk specifically the beautiful island of jersey
0: you have a relationship with jersey you grew up there didn't you
1: that's right i grew up on on jersey and spent uh, i got my first job in jersey my first proper job in the financial services industry it's a very special place and it's lovely to be home
0: were you born there
1: I was born. I was born in Jersey. I so lived in Jersey. So you are from? Wow! From from Jersey, and then fifty the percent of people who are from Jersey stay for the rest of their lives. The other fifty percent <laughs> leave as soon as they can. And I was in. I was in that that camp. <laughs> well, my work is in the UK and South Africa. So I think I think I'm being given kind of dual portfolios. Uh, yeah. Africa. A bit of my heart remain there, and the work yeah. is, is is super important and super super satisfying there. But I do have a UK and sort of London and Jersey Channel Island portfolio. So fulfilling that and servicing that now the pandemic has subsided is what I'm doing now. Yeah, exciting. David, before we sort of get into more of what this podcast is about, and I'm super excited
0: to pick your brains and understand more about um, your journey of leadership development, we work in a similar area. And I love talking to people who are as passionate about (laughs) learning as I am. But before we get there, what does get you excited every day?
1: So it's interesting. It's a a beautiful question. And I would say I'm one of the lucky ones who has a lot of meaning in my life. And the meaning I derive from leadership development is a huge driver. But also, I have a beautiful family, my wife and cats, and living for them and living in a state of gratitude as best I can for the work I get to do and the people that I'm surrounded with. Getting up is a blessing. It wasn't always that way, but but it is now. That's good. Let's then tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, sure, Philippa. So my vocation is leadership development. And an axiom that I live by is that you can only help others to the extent that you've helped yourself. So I guess my story starts a decade ago when I realized quite how much help I needed. Uh, It was the London Olympics 10 years ago. And I was watching Usain Bolt cross the finish line in first position. And I was with my girlfriend, now wife. I remember thinking, I'm living the dream. You know, I had a a beautiful material life. I had the ideal life. I had a wonderful job at HSBC. I was managing millions of dollars of wealth. And I remember thinking, I'm not feeling what I'm supposed to be feeling. I'm not really feeling anything. And if this is as good as it gets, then, then I don't think I can do another 40 years. So my journey has really been trying to understand how I could move from that very nihilistic place into one where, you know, into an approach, an attitude that says yes to life. And on the way there, I think the first thing I did was I blamed external circumstances. I fed my resentment, I justified my victimhood. And I thought, and, and, and I encounter this a lot with the work I do, that I'd be happy if I had a better job title, an increase in salary or a more prestigious job. But all, I did acquire those things, and all that did was increase the abundance of, of lack that I felt. So that didn't work. And then the next thing I did is, is what a lot of people also do, and, and that was to numb. And I think I've numbed myself extensively. You name it, I've numbed it. I got fat. I got drunk. Um, I got full of existential dread. And I remember at one point in my Nadia, the apartment block I lived in, the guy next to me, he, he jumped off. And I remember thinking, I'm, I wasn't there, but I could I could see that path if I didn't start to change things. The depression, the anxiety, were real for me. My affliction was the modern sickness. It was a lack of meaning, a lack of perspective. You know, I saw the scarcity rather than the abundance. I had, I had a victim mentality. I blamed external circumstances for for my inner state and i was living a life of anxiety rather than joy i was i was stuck in what they call the terrible master of the head rather than living from the heart
0: what are you doing now so it'd be really interesting to know so you were on this journey working in the financial services industry um had the epiphany and you're now doing something else and it'd be really interesting to know what was the catalyst and what are you doing now
1: i'm super career driven and as i saw more success, more power, more influence, all those attributes that the society we live in presents to us as the dream. My epiphany, as you termed it, came through professional development and and seeking to get it better at my job. The first thing I did was work on my ability to be impactful in communication. And that really came for a failure. I walked into a boardroom for a meeting that could potentially change my life. And when I got in there, I kind of lied to myself about my confidence and, you know, self-talk and i started to speak and i don't know if you've ever experienced this but my voice started cracking and it sounded like i was about to cry and the, th- the thing is when you start sounding like you're about to cry it makes it more likely you actually will <laughs> and then then my hands started tremoring and my face was flushing my heart was racing and i couldn't turn the page and i was just wanted to die and i remember My friend once, he'd been banned from driving and he was retaking his test. He took us all to a golf club, dropped us off. We were going to play some golf to celebrate him passing his test. And he came back and he was like, you know, guys, I failed. And we were like, no, really? He was like, yeah. And we said, well, what happened? And he said, it was the worst experience ever. He said he hit the curb, the pavement, right away. And a funny thing happens when you do that. You get asked to continue the test, but you know you've already failed. And I just felt like that in this environment. And I remember walking out of there and I thinking, I'm not going to let that happen again. So learning to be impactful with communication from a really, really, really traumatic failure was one avenue. The second was, was empathy. And again, I didn't come at this through a kind of kindness uh, route. I came at it from a work perspective. I, I realized that clients that weren't like me, I didn't resonate with and most people aren't like me. So I thought, you know, I, I want to fix this. And, you know, I'd been on courses that had told me to seek rapport, build rapport, and which is terrible advice, by the way. And, uh, you know, it's all superficial constructs. And so I was fortunate enough to go on a learning experience with a really, really beautiful man who, who I'm now very good friends with. He's an associate of mine, actually. And I worked out, I understood that actually connecting on an energetic level Uh, to understand people and seeking connection rather than rapport at a deeper level is something that changes everything instantly. If you can find connection then you find trust and if you can find trust then you have a relationship and also if you don't find those things then potentially it isn't worth pursuing whatever it is that you're in that conversation for. And then the third thing that I needed to learn was to be present with myself and then I could be present with others and that involved facing my shadow. It meant learning to like myself, value myself, to even, to even love myself and, and ultimately integrate the parts within me, the voices in my head. You know, and, and integration is a word that the Latin root of that is integra. And we talk about integrity. And once you can integrate yourself, you can trust yourself, and then you have integrity, which is related to executive presence. And once I had those three things, my career just took off exponentially, I was given secondments, promotions, responsibility, line management, and the numbers were were fantastic. It started to feel like I wasn't trying. It became more effortless. The more I worked on myself, the better things worked out for me in the external work world.
0: That's fascinating because obviously you've been through that journey and it worked for you and so now obviously you are doing this for others and so i think for our listeners it'd just be super helpful to just understand what is it that you're doing what is it that you're offering to people what is working
1: okay sure well what i learned was the three things that really made a difference in my career i can teach those because that's what i have experience in and and what i believe in and and those are the best teachers i think the people that have lived it so that there are really two types of people, and I'm generalizing stereotyping here, but maybe this will resonate. There are the leaders you get who have kind of been living in their head, they've got the impact thing down, but maybe they're lacking empathy and maybe they're lacking self-awareness. So one of the things that, that I do is help people with empathy, help them to understand the perspectives of others using an energy framework, um, which isn't as wacky as it sounds. You know, some people call it personality, I prefer the word energy and then the second thing that i can do for those people is help them find self awareness talking about that process that i went through learning to be present with ourselves learning to understand that we are not the thoughts in our head that you know we are actually uh, can be a witness to those and and the sense of um, contentment and peace that that gives us and also better decision making you know uh, Life is a a single player game, best played in third person. So if we can learn to disassociate with our feelings and our thoughts, then we can select the ones that we want. So that tends to be your kind of high performing masculine leader. They are looking for more empathy and more self-awareness. And then you have the other type of person and their framework, their approach to life, their approach to work is more heart-based rather than head. So these people, they have that intuitive access they communicate in feelings quite often, but what they really, really fear and what they lack is the ability to impact the workplace environment that they find themselves in. And so it gives me so much joy to work with people and you know, over a very short space of time, quite often 45 minutes will do it, just letting people understand their limiting beliefs, working them through with them, and then getting to them to a space where they communicate uninhibited from a place of confidence and joy, and seeing the difference that makes to not only themselves, but also the organizations and teams they work within, because them bringing their power and energy into the workplace is is what the world needs more of, I believe. Totally. Well, I
0: am a huge, the lever of that as well. And one thing we also have in common is you You talk a lot about it and you work in this area of well of experiential learning. And actually there was a post that you posted recently. David posts a lot on LinkedIn. There's a lot of real, oh, that's an interesting way of looking at it, <laughs> posts that uh, he regularly posts. And one of them was around experiential learning and it really got me responding because I see it all the time with my daughter who's in the process of learning science at the moment. You know, you try and memorize definitions of dilution or concentration, but it's only really when you get a cup and water and sugar and you sort of just show her it, she's like, oh, I see, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And you actually do it. And so uh, Thai is all about experiential learning. And we do believe that theoretical learning is important in some contexts, but if you really want to change behavior, if you want to change the way that people see themselves or the way that they do things, you have to do it you have to have that transformational moment and that comes through experiential learning and I'm just interested to know how do you work experientially what does that look like and perhaps you can tell us some stories that bring your work to life
1: I love that example with, with your daughter right and one of the things I was reflecting on this morning is I'm not sure technology I, I got a feedback assessment back from Henley I lecture there most weeks and it was really lovely i, I work with the candidates on every block of every program so they're five weeks 12 month programs and you know i think sometimes we overcomplicate this whole learning thing and i'm not sure you know more technology is the answer so okay what works for me number one i keep my engagement short so i'll typically typically talk for 45 minutes to six 45 to 60 minutes and i design all my own content at henley and for corporate leadership courses so it's, some, it's things I've experienced, I speak from experience. And then I always leave a segment, uh, typically maybe half an hour, uh, for people to put into practice to prove to themselves that they've learned what it is that I was teaching them. And I say to them, if you don't feel like you've had the click, then I've not done my job and we need to spend more time here. So it's really, really beautiful to put the emphasis on an outcome. And that outcome is, have you integrated this learning? You know, I read recently that that 96% of learners rate their learning and development engagements as a waste of time, effectively. So that means 4% of engagements are are worthwhile, which is a figure that is, is terrifying. And I think like you, well, like Benjamin Franklin said, tell me and I forget, teach me and I remember, involve me and I learn. So giving people that space creating the space for people to actually put into action what we've been talking about and turning theory into practice. I don't think there's another way to learn, especially when I do courses on a Thursday or a Friday, or with summer coming up, for instance, in the UK. You know, I'm very conscious I've got a, I'm got doing some sales training for a, a trust company uh, in late June, and I'm very conscious people aren't gonna be dialing for dollars on, on, in July and August, and then that's two months gone. So if we don't integrate it immediately, then it won't get integrated. And to your point about some examples, one of the things I love to do, I mean, I've been talking about the kind of personality energy frameworks, and and really what I'm talking about here is Myers-Briggs, Discovery Insights, Enneagrams. I don't mind what you use. I've got a proprietary one, but they're all valid, right? What I do is I'll talk to people about the, the color framework for an hour, and then we use the last half an hour for people to go around and guess each other's primary and secondary color. And that proves to them that they intuitively have the ability to sense different, to sense energies. And once you can sense energies, you can start to mirror the energies. And if you can mirror the energy, Nelson Mandela said, if you speak to a man in a language he understands that goes to his head. If you speak to him in his language, that goes to his heart. And I believe energies are languages. So if I understand that your perspective is diametrically opposed to mine, let's say you're you're an introverted person who leads with the head, and I'm an extroverted person who leads with the heart. If I can change my demeanor and move towards you, my experience was that just changed my whole relationship in terms of sales, in terms of relationship management stakeholders at work, because all of a sudden I was multidimensional. I had become, somebody who could move over to other people's way of communicating and therefore missed less. Peter Drucker says the greatest misperception, misconception of communication is that it's happened. And I really believe that is a is a result as a consequence of us not taking the time to tailor our message to the person in front of us.
0: Expanding your personal circle is a big part of tie If you're wanting to unearth new ways of thinking to develop your potential to open your world and just understand how to work with people who are different to yourselves there's so many different things that we focus on you know um, you know push through boundaries to unlock potential be constantly curious to be constantly inspired mm-hmm. but one of them is expand your personal circle and that actually was the base to setting up tai i come from south africa as you know I was born there. My family on my dad's side is all from there. My uncle was Nelson Mandela's doctor when he came out of prison and started negotiations with the apartheid government. And my uncle was one of the most inspirational people. And he was a physician. He could have very easily lived in his very siloed world of a white physician in South Africa, but he didn't. He was so involved in the anti-apartheid struggle. He touched so many people's lives, not because he felt he was doing something worthy. It was because he genuinely wanted to get to know other people. And when I see how inspiring he was as an individual and how much just so many people from so many different walks of life just loved him and I put that down to the fact that he expanded his personal circle and he was able to win the trust of people who were completely different to him. But that made him super inspirational. But at the same time, it touched so many different people's lives. And, you know, when I went to his funeral, his celebration of life, and I looked around and I just saw so many different faces there and the stories that came out. And I just, for me, that was it. That's what proved to me that, you know what, it is so powerful to have those experiences, but then you can then you can connect with people who are different. And that makes teams better. That makes work better. That makes your life better. That makes people like you more, <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know? So, you know, yeah. I, I You know, and I'm, I'm such a big fan. I haven't told you this actually, my wife, Kim, she wants to go on your next, your next open program because, you know, she's oh. been reading about it, learning about it. You know, she wants that exposure for, her, for herself, too. Yeah, and I'm such a great. big fan of what you do because we talk about accelerated learning and we talk about learning by doing. But you're fusing the two and radically, radically putting people in situations, not only where they get to transform themselves through relationships, but also through taking difficult problems and solving them under constraints and timelines that are impossible until you've actually done it once you've done it you realize impossible is nothing i love it yeah exactly i mean and that's obviously why
0: i have david on the podcast because it's it's so important in so many different ways to be able to pass this learning on to people we do it in one way david's doing it in you know you can do it in bite-sized ways you know like you said 45 minutes we can do a session on you know empathy and but it's just so important because once you start start unlocking that in individual's it's so powerful. And then what we do is, you know, we do it in a, in a pretty, you know, it's six week program, it's a little bit longer, quite intense in some ways, uh, <laughs> certainly life changing and, uh, and very powerful. But there's lots of other ways that you can do it too. And, and David's doing that in a wonderful way, super impactful with great feedback from people. And I think it's just so important. It, the more that people can kind of unlock this thinking, the power of these slight changes and adaptations and ways of seeing yourself and the world, you know, it impacts your life in a a pretty significant way.
1: You know, it's a flywheel. And the hardest thing to do is just get the flywheel moving. But once you get, and it doesn't really matter how you get the flywheel moving, but you know, and again, it involves action. It involves actually moving. You don't get it from a book. I mean, you can get the knowledge from a book, but wisdom is experiential. You know, what the world needs more of is people who are put in situations where they're uncomfortable and the reason is because uncomfortable means we're breaking patterns and if we can break patterns then that's the key to positive change people are stuck in patterns which they think is normal but you know and the brain our cognitive mind is a pattern detecting machine and it just runs the patterns you give it so disrupting it either for a six-week immersion like you do in different cultures in different teams where You know, it's difficult. That's a massive pattern disruptor. And I do a similar thing over 90 days, a leadership learning journey designed for for companies where time is the most precious resource, where they don't want the feedback that, you know, this was a waste of time, where people need to come out saying it exceeded expectations. And the only way to do that is to show people how they've changed and also to show senior stakeholders how how they've changed. So I'm a big fan of a dragon's den at the end of leadership programs so that the stakeholders get to see the ROI, and just like you, set the the talent executive level problems on the strategic agenda, so that when the CEO watches his talent come back and pitch to him, not only are they way better, way more impactful uh, when they're pitching their ideas, but they've also just solved really difficult problems that gives the business ROI. And then L&D say, well, look, we've given you two lots of ROI. You saw the talent make a paradigm shift, and they solved the problem, that you hadn't solved yet. What's not to like? Yeah, that's genius. We
0: do we do something very similar as well. It's yeah. absolutely fantastic, and it's so powerful. Many of our listeners will probably know that we. We made it to the finals for the Learning Performance Institute Awards, which was a huge deal. I mean, we were up against massive companies and we got to be finalists. So we were one of the the final six, I think. I think there were six companies in all. And I think there were, you know, 800 or 1,000 companies that had applied for this particular award. And I needed to do a video. And I, you know, I do speak publicly. I obviously have my podcast. I enjoy speaking, but I have to say... (laughs) Speaking in front of a camera and getting my (laughs) passion, but also communicating what we're all about. We had the script, but one reading the words is one thing, but really being able to capture what we were all about is another. And so... David came into my life and I hired him. He was basically the gem that brought it all together. And I I genuinely, hand on heart, could not say that it would have been as successful if I hadn't had that coaching. So it was amazing. So that's one, you know, that's another thing that David does. And I'll let him kind of bring that to life. But I just wonder for anyone who's listening who might not necessarily know how to, you know, hire you for the moment, but how can they do some of this on their own. What, what takeaways could
1: you leave people with? Th- thank you so much. I'd, I'd love to, but, but yeah, I, your achievement, I think you're up against 800 submissions to get into the final. So it's, it's testament to the work you, the work you do. And, oh, and I'm thank so, you. so grateful you've got that recognition that you deserve. So look, there's a saying in Africa, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And, you know, I mean, the number one thing that you can really do is get a coach. The, the thing is, Jahari's window. You don't know what you don't know. And it's very difficult to motivate yourself to go and do these things. I'm personally on my third coach now. Every time I spot something that's holding me back, what I'll do is I'll read a book, maybe go on a course and then get a coach who can just implement it with me, work it through. And then you get rid of, you know, what you wanna do is identify your kryptonite. If your kryptonite is public speaking, you go speak publicly. And you know, there are various organizations that can help you do that if your kryptonite is self-awareness then you know then you need to learn how to become more self-aware and people can guide you through these things and i I think really the biggest takeaway i would want to give people is is on self-awareness it's the challenge i see most particularly in leadership you know in talent it's all about when i train talent junior mid-level talent it's all about learning it's all about giving them frameworks Once you get to a leadership position, it's actually all about unlearning, right? We've got these frameworks, these limiting beliefs. We built this thing, which is called a brain, a mind. And by the age of about six, it's 80% there. The Egyptians and the Greeks had a saying and the Jesuits, give me the boy until he's seven and I'll give you back the man. Right? So the thing about leadership is what we want to be doing is unlearning the limiting beliefs, and a large part of that is identifying them, and that's called self-awareness. So how self-awareness works is this. And by the way, wisdom traditions, spiritual traditions, psychological, cutting-edge, latest thinking all agrees with what I'm about to say. So the first thing we want to do is cultivate self-awareness, which is understanding that we are not our thoughts and we are not our feelings. So what that means is we become the witness to them. I mentioned earlier that life is a a game best played in third person. And it's really identifying that. And then once we can detach ourselves from our thoughts and our feelings, what we want to then do is see if we can accept them. And about 80% of the time, we're not going to be able to. You're gonna feel angry, I'll feel angry, and I'm not able to shift out of anger, and I don't want to, right? I'm enjoying, my anger is giving me something and I'm just gonna sit in it. And that's, that's fine, it's valid, it's perfect. Because as long as we're identifying anger and accepting it will come. It's a practice, all of these things are practices. So number one is self-awareness. Number two is seeing if we can accept it. And then when we get to the position where we are able to start accepting our feelings, our emotions, our thinking, our thoughts, Then we get to the third stage. And that third stage is a choice. And the choice is simple. There are only five emotions we feel. Those emotions, the first one is creative energy. Creative energy includes sexual energy. The second one is we can be sad, right? Sad is, is depressed. The third is we can be mad. That's angry. And then the fourth is we can be Scared and fear, fear is the fourth one. So those three are all negative and and we experience a preponderance of those at certain times of our life. The only super positive one is glad. Sad, mad, scared, glad, creative. So we want to be able to shift, transmute negative emotion and feeling into glad. And the way we do that is super simple. And I love teaching this. It's, it's wonderful. It's a gratitude shift. What you do is you have 1,440 minutes in your day. And what you do is you just take one minute, whenever you're feeling something that you don't want to feel, and first of all, you accept it. And then you center yourself. You move your awareness, your hand, your, your breath, your energy, your intention, your awareness, down to the space between your hand and your heart. You close your eyes. We can do this now, if you like. So just put your hand on your heart, move your awareness down to the space between your hand and your heart. Breathe into that space. Your energy, your awareness, your focus, your intention. And what I'd like you to do is think of something that you are grateful for. It can be a person, it can be a a thing, could be as simple as the feeling of the wind on your face right now. Maybe the sunlight on your skin. Feel that gratitude, and we're just going to take three breaths, keeping your awareness, your intention, your focus on the space between your hand and your heart, and we're just going to feel gratitude. That's really nice. (laughs) That's really nice. And just stretch off. Just have a stretch. Do honour your body. Do what comes naturally. And just ask yourself, is the quality of my conscience, has it been enhanced? Is it clearer? Do I feel like I'm more able to go into a moment that matters as my best self. And that is, in three simple steps, what spiritual, wisdom, psychological traditions teach is the path to contentment, peace of mind, and ultimately, happiness. That is so important and so
0: simple, and (laughs) not done nearly enough, right? Mm, mm. Thank you for that. I did not expect that on this, but I really like that. Thank you.
1: <laughs> it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. If, we, if I could just give people one thing, that would be it. So I'm so glad it went that way. I did not yeah. expect that either. That was perfect.
0: Now, I think you've answered it, but let me just, it is a question here, and I just do want to make sure that it has been answered the way that you want to answer it. In your experience, what is the key to people fulfilling their potential?
1: Oh, okay. So... I'm going to speak to your listeners, because I think it's super important that we, we talk about potential and in, in, in the construct of what they experience. Now, your listeners have power, right? Both at work, formally, or maybe indirectly in community. Now, the flip side to power is responsibility. So what's the responsibility that we have? And the responsibility we have is to get people to act better and to get them to aim higher. Now, we talked about acting better, and that's rather than the show and tell, fire and forget, infotainment that pervades the LD industry, I think it's super crucial that we focus on action and outcome. Right? I, I don't think that's negotiable. But what about aiming higher? Here's what I know for sure. Almost everybody I work with suffers from imposter syndrome and gets so little external validation. It's, it's frankly, it's tragic. So, What I would invite you to do is to make it a habit of offering sincere, specific, and kind encouragement to the people that you're responsible for, the people you meet, and the people who need it, and especially the ones you don't think do need it the most, again, in my experience. We we talk about diversity, we talk about equality of opportunity, we talk about inclusion, but fundamentally, it's upliftment. And if we can recognize and verbalize the good we see in others, then we instantly ennoble and uplift them. You have no idea how a few words of encouragement will change people's perception of themselves, will help them rid them of their doubts, will help them aim higher, and it costs so little and it means so much. You can change people's lives just by giving words of appreciation and encouragement and looking for the good in people and taking action when you see it. And when you do that, you don't just uplift others, but you also uplift yourselves. Yeah, totally. Oh,
0: that is so powerful and so true. And I have so many examples of when that doesn't happen, how mm. detrimental that can be to someone's mental health, self-worth, how they then value themselves, how, what they then ask for, what they then accept, which is just oh. absurd. Yeah. And I look at the power of these leaders And how they can do that, and to then undo that is so hard. And you, as some, you know, a a friend or a partner or whoever, and you could say, but it's not like that. But until the people who are managing those people Mm. turn that around, it's very hard for other people or for them. So you have to be incredibly strong to be able to fight against that. And you just think, you know, to be a leader that is an empowering leader, a facilitative leader, you can change people's lives, and you just need to learn how to do that.
1: Yeah. 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 And again, it's courage to actually be kind. And I think the world is going that way. I think you're a huge driver so. for that. Yeah. You know, and it is. And I can feel it. I can see it. And now it's cool to be kind. It wasn't. Yeah. Totally. Totally. I love that. Now, this is,
0: I feel like, I mean, we do just for our listeners, we do have these catch-ups quite often. So, I mean, I, I'm, uh, but I could continue talking for a while, but we are coming to the end of the podcast. I'm happy to know that I will have the chance to catch up with David again, but if you want to get in touch with him, you know, the, the information will be on the blurb. Um, he's on LinkedIn. You should just follow him on LinkedIn because he has some great content there. And of course, emails, stuff I'll, I'll include. But is there anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like to tell our listeners as we wrap things up?
1: there isn't and rather than follow me connect with me drop me a note i would love to meet you i would love to say hello i would love to be connected i think it's a beautiful it's it's a miracle you know that we can share insight and ideas in this wonderful community so i would that that's all i ask is rather than following me if you're interested connect with me i'm super excited to connect with you on linkedin or in any other form and thank you so much for listening i know time is your most valuable resource and i deeply deeply sincerely appreciate you giving yours to Philippa and me. Thank Thank you, you, David. Thank you, bye-bye. Take care. Hey, everyone, this is Philippa again.
0: I hope you enjoyed listening. Now, this is your chance to get involved with Thai. If you work in the commercial world, whatever your profession, your position, or your experience, then Thai could be for you. You may have been in business for decades, but have always felt there's another way. Or you may just have a few years' experience but want to do more. Equally, if you want to create game-changing employees and see your company impact the world, we've got you covered. Thai has never been more necessary than right now. And you can be a part of it. Reach out to me at philippa at theinternationalexchange.co.uk and I can tell you more. Or join the TIE Accelerator info session for more information. apply.tieaccelerator.com better leaders, better companies, better world. I'm your host, Philippa White. This podcast has been co-produced by Berna Vieira and me, music by Berna Vieira, and artwork by Kelps Vahais. I hope we'll meet again soon.